Listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for for us it's November tenth, twenty fifteen. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Fallout New Vegas. Ooh, all right. This is Nick Diamond, and my game of the week is not Star Wars Rebellion. The one, right? Let's see now, Nick. Uh, why don't you? Why would you bring that up? Oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Last week I picked Star Wars Galaxies, and I said... Yeah, because I was all like, wait, which one is that, Nick? Yeah. (laughs) And I said it was the real-time strategy, which, ah, totally wrong. That's the early MMO. Well, that's the great thing about a podcast, is you can always go in and edit what you said. Uh, Oh no, I'm sorry, that's writing, I was thinking of. Yeah, so... (laughs) Uh, So, uh... For the listeners, we have a very special guest today, and I do not just mean international super, former international super spy Nick Diamond. Uh, we are about to talk to Julian Gollop uh, about a game I've been playing quite a bit of called Chaos Reborn. Uh, and then afterwards, Nick and I are going to come back, and we are going to talk about another game, uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 3. So, uh, Nick, can you hang out with me for a moment while I go to, to uh, Romania and, and talk to Julian Gollop? Ooh, I've always wanted to visit Romania. Well, you know what? Come with me. You can sit in the room, uh, uh, just just sort of hang out, uh, and then we'll come back and we'll talk Black Ops, okay? Oh, sounds awesome. Uh, Julian Gollop, I sort of see, if I look at the games that you have made, um, I see early on this kind of movement from simplicity to complexity. Um, you know, Chaos went to Laser Squad, which went to XCOM. Uh, and it seems like as computers got more powerful, you could add more more detail to the kinds of games you wanted to make. Um, the decisions could become more granular. There was there was more there were more moving pieces, more systems, more more decisions. Um, and eventually, it got to the point where XCOM had like unit health and individual inventory for each unit. There was an interaction the strategic level and the tactical stuff. Um, and instead of this arena combat, like in Chaos, we had this long-term, persistent experience that was like a modern, you know, 20-hour RPG on the computer. Now, it seems like going from XCOM to Laser Squad Nemesis and now Chaos Reborn, it almost seems like the inverse of your previous arc. Like you've all kind of walked back down this ladder. Uh, is this something that you've been conscious of as a designer, and is it intentional, or did it just work out that way? <laughs> yeah, I'm going backwards, not forwards. You say um, backwards, Julian, but I, mean, I, I feel, <laughs> as someone who plays a lot of board games and who, who really thinks a lot of computer games yeah. throw in detail just so they can, uh, I, I don't think that simplicity is, is a matter of, of going backwards at all. It's part of what I love no, about Chaos Reborn. I, I actually agree with you 100% there. Um in a way, I uh, with Chaos Reborn, I wanted to find the essence of something and then build on it mm-hmm. um, in several ways, and that is why you know I, I the core mechanics of Chaos Reborn are very 
board gaming because the game, the original Chaos, which I made back in 1985, was itself based on a board game that I made in 1981. So the origins of Chaos Reborn are very, very old. And I, in a way, I like the restrictions of board games because um, within a set of board game rules, you have to have an understandable set of rules for all the players to, to manage. Um, the players have to manage all the information systems in, in a board game. And therefore, you have to be very clever and precise in your, in, and very pure, actually, in your, your game mechanics. So um, this is something I still really appreciate and, and I still think it has a lot of lessons for um, you know, computer game design when you say that uh, Chaos was a board game in 1981 do you mean one that, yeah. that was published or one that you just made to, to play around with, with your friends it wasn't published no I, I just made it to play with my, my friends and my um, brother and sister mm-hmm. which we did quite frequently and it was um, yeah it was a simple game but it still it had this mechanic with the with the cards so there was a, a deck of cards which had your uh, had all the spells in them and the deck was shuffled and you you'll deal spells to each uh, player according to their wizard's profile there's a little wizard card which gives the abilities for a wizard and um, when you actually cast a spell you put the card you place the card down on a, a grid a big grid which marked out on a big piece of uh, card actually about 11 by 7 spaces mm-hmm. so the cards themselves became the uh, playing ah, pieces right right uh and now so, so this is one of the things i wondered with chaos reborn is did a physical prototype exist and it sounds like it existed as far back as 1981 uh, <laughs> yes that was the physical prototype yes uh i also did did you ever is that i know sid meyer talks a lot about uh prototyping and i think a lot of times he'll make a physical prototype of, of things he's developing uh did that ever enter into uh, uh, Chaos Reborn when you uh, went back to that design, decided to make a modern updated version of it? I'm curious, is there a physical prototype of Chaos Reborn? No, well, no, there isn't. Um, I, I began Chaos Reborn with the idea of creating a very simple computer-based uh, prototype, which is what I did in uh, using Unity 3D, because that's quite quick and easy to prototype things in. So no, I didn't actually begin with a paper prototype for Chaos Reborn. I have done it for some of my previous games, like um, Ghost Recon Shadow Wars, for example, which um, was released on the 3DS in sure. 2011. That was originally started with a, a completely paper prototype. And uh, it is definitely a useful step. But I think with Chaos Reborn, I, I kind of considered that I'd already done that bit. Mm-hmm. And um, I progressed to a a purely computer-based prototype, which I made multiplayer from from the beginning, actually. Oh, sure, yeah, I can imagine, yeah. Um, now, uh, th- this return to uh, to simplicity, which I think you and I agree isn't is in a way uh, moving forward, um, has obviously some unique challenges. Um, for instance, deciding what to include and what to cut, I imagine, has a much bigger impact. Um, than in a game with a lot more detail. Uh, so over the course of the beta, and I know you had a long beta with a lot of players participating, a lot of those folks got to see it kind of in development. But for those of us who came mm-hmm. to it with the official release, uh, tell us a little bit about what we missed. How did it change o- over the course of its development? Oh, yes, it did change. Um, I think it was 
mostly process of adding things and taking things away, which seems to be the way I, I my de- game design experiences go. Um, so the original prototype that I did was was very much based on the original Chaos. I, you know, that's my my starting point basically. So I had the the basic mechanic of casting spells and the illusion system was in there. Um, the illusion this system is, goes back to the original Chaos, doesn't it? It goes back to the original computer game version. It wasn't in the board game version that right. I did. Um, it was something I added in the computer game version because it was something you, know, you couldn't really do in a board game version, certainly not very easily. Um, the idea that you're summoning a creature which may or may not be an illusion, you know, this has to be marked or recorded in some way that's, that's secret from the other players. So the computer game version offered that possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my original, yeah, my original Chaos Reborn prototype had basically all the basic elements of my original Chaos. That was my starting point. So, I, But I had the intention of adding um, equipment system. Mm-hmm. And, and is a, that entirely new? Was there any analog to that in the original Chaos? No. Okay. No, there isn't. So this is entirely new. And also a single-player... Realm Quest experience, as I called it, which was a way of linking um, battles in a kind of narrative in your quest for uh, for loot and gold and fame and fortune. So those were the two things that I was going to add to the game, and he went through a few iterations. So the equipment I first added, I had a, a leveling system to the equipment, so you're, you could level up your equipment and your wizard. Um, that was something I pulled back on. I rejected in the end because it was too unnecessarily grindy. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I I kind of steered it away from, I guess, a kind of typical RPG um, sort of trope and brought it back to what I think is more important, which is the, about the choice of your um, the configuration of your wizard before you go into battle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, given different things that you can put together and combine in terms of staff, talismans and body gear, that was the idea so the original equipment didn't have talismans either, this is something I added a bit later and um, the original equipment system had hats as well as robes and stuff so I simplified it a bit there as well and this is the general process of game design and I was able to actually test these things with the players in the community and get direct feedback and we can collect data from all the multiplayer games that were going on because it was still purely multiplayer at that point which is a very very useful process now uh, you mentioned the, the talisman the, the equipment system the, the gear yeah. um, th- that's great for kind of imposing different guidelines on the on the decks and uh you can sort of give yourself advantages and disadvantage and basically tweak your wizard. Um, yeah. But yeah. what you can't do, and this didn't occur to me until I'd actually been playing for a while, uh, you can't directly make your own decks, which, no. I, <laughs> which I, I do think, Julian, like some people like look at this and they're like, oh, you've got, you've got cards and you deal some of them. Uh, naturally, I then want to make a deck, which is like all rats or all sapphire dragons. Uh and I can see why you don't do that, but I can also imagine that some people might expect that. Um, yes. Was this a requested feature, and, and why isn't it in there? Well, originally I I did want some kind of spell customization. Um, I, I was trying to figure out a way to do it, and my original idea was that you build a library of spells and you'd be able to allocate some of those to um, your 
a potential deck when you go into a battle. There'll be still some random element of the deck selection. Um, in general, though, I, I've, I felt it kind of undermined the the essence of the game that it would become too too predictable and boring uh, when people could basically just choose their their decks all the time. So I, I guess I decided instead of going for a completely deterministic situation with your deck, there are, there are actually just ways to influence your deck. And um, for players who want a slightly higher degree of control, like you can use these binding talismans, which will bind a particular spell to your um, deck. And these binding talismans depend on the staff and body gear that you're using. Uh, as to how many binding slots there are. So you could go down the route of trying to control your deck more fully. Um, and also the staff selection influences the deck, so there's another influencer there. So you've got staff of chaos who will tend to have more chaos spells. Not exclusively chaos spells, but tend to have more. So these are ways to influence things rather than com- having complete control. I guess that's the essence of the game, is that you never have complete control over anything. Um Except possibly your um, uh, where you move on the board and who you attack, but apart from that, you know, complete control is is not really part of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say, as the as a, a game that does simplify and streamline a lot of things, uh, part of why I didn't notice until I'd played for a while. Uh, oh yeah, you can't build your own deck. Is I kind of didn't miss that because just like I don't miss things like like action points and inventories and, and veterancy for the creatures. Uh, you know, other games do those kinds of things. But one of the things I appreciate about Chaos Reborn is that it's, you've kind of ruthlessly streamlined that stuff out of there to yes. get to this essence you're talking about. Yes. So yes. I, for one, am, am, am entirely glad to be free of having to build decks because that's always kind of, there, there's, a, there's a huge learning curve and there's, there's a, a huge skill disparity between people who build decks and people who are just learning to play. Um, That's right. So I'm more than happy that you streamlined that out. Uh, so of these systems that you're talking about, that you developed, um, some of them came and went, what would you say was the most difficult system to, to balance for you? What, what what gave you the biggest headache? Definitely the equipment system. I'm just trying to figure out a way to implement it that will work within the context of the game, not be too complicated, but give a lot of nuances and combinations that players could experiment with. So my idea was that basically your wizard is is kind of a bit of a blank slate. He his his characteristics and attributes and abilities are all completely determined by your equipment selection. And I eventually settled on this idea of these talismans that you can plug into your staff and and body gear, which are designed to sort of interact with different game mechanics and different ways that spells are cast and so on to give you some different types of strategy. So, uh, for example, I wanted to take um, the three basic body gear types, which I've got Vigilant, uh, Heroic, and Arcane, representing very broadly um, three different types of strategy that or approach that a player could take to to a typical battle. You know, the heroic one is more based around direct combat with your wizard, equipping with magical weapons such as the magic sword and so on, riding mounts and charging into battle. The vigilant one is um, one which is um, 
place a lot of emphasis on defense of your wizard rather than attack, direct attack, although you can wade into more dangerous situations if he needs to. And the arcane one focusing more on magic power, which is um, more of some of the magical attack spells and also being able to defend against them, but at the same time having a rather vulnerable and weak wizard. So I had those sort of broad um, categories in mind. And within those um, types, you could experiment a lot and tweak a lot to create combinations of stuff. So what I wanted with the equipment system is something which allowed players to pursue a particular strategy in a, in a game and also allow players to experiment with it to see how things turn out. Um, it was certainly difficult to get right, especially the balance. I mean, we introduced, for example, the, the mana system is, again, a new introduction in from, terms of like burning cards and building up to the uber the yeah. mega spell, that's having new. these mana points, yes. So again, it's a question of of influence rather than direct control. That like you can burn cards to get mana points, you kill creatures to get mana points, you can activate certain talismans to get mana points, uh, and these, of course, are used to boost the casting chance of your spells and also activate your mega spell. So this is definitely a complication compared to the original chaos, but it allows. Um, again, it allows various types of strategies. So it does allow players who want more control to to exercise more control over their spell casting. Um, but it also gives you some alternative things that you can do, like activate your mega spell, which can be quite good fun. It's a powerful version of a, an already existing spell, and it could be uh, a game changer if you pursue that strategy. So. Um, I think that worked out pretty well. And we put the, these mana sprites as well, which are deployed in the map, which you, you pick up by um, moving a wizard over them. And that gives the battles more of a focus about between risk and reward. Because obviously, if you advance to get mana sprites, you may end up risking your, your wizard. One, so, one of the maps that I am most confused by is there's at least one where you just have mana sprites back on your side of the map, and there's nothing in the middle. And it's kind of like who's gonna, who's gonna like move forward first when there's nothing to get up there, and you sort of sit <laughs> back and you nervously eye each other. Uh, but yeah, yes. I, I cut you off. I'm sorry, but I, I love how the mana sprites do give shape to the maps without having to do any crazy terrain stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, now, uh, uh, similarly, what specific units were hardest to balance? What, what particular unit gave you the biggest headache? Because a lot of the units, there's, of course, a lot of asymmetry. There's nothing yes. like this is that unit, but with more hit points. Uh, everything has a unique role in the combinatorial chaos, I guess, that, that can arise. Yes. Uh, which unit was, was the toughest for you to get working correctly? Oh, I think there are a few. Sure, um, yeah. Who were, who, were the, who were the pains in the butt for you? Actually, the biggest pain in the butt was, believe it or not, the Pegasus. Oh, why? <laughs> because is that the one has, that he sacrifices himself, that one? Yeah, because it okay. has this unique sacrifice ability, yeah. So, yeah, so if a, if a creature is killed next to the Pegasus, mm-hmm. then it would sacrifice itself to, to keep, it, keep it alive, and it... It was used by wizards to... Um, people would use it next to the wizard to keep their wizard alive, or the wizard mount alive, at least. Um, Does that work, um, by the way? If I'm like on an elephant, my wizard's on an elephant, there's a pegasus next to me, it basically takes three hits to kill me? Yeah. Ah, yeah. awesome. Okay. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is quite powerful. Um, 
the other problem with the Pegasus is that it's actually a very fast creature, so it has a range of four um, in terms of its movement. Only the eagle matches it, and none of the other flying creatures are that fast. So, if you, you know, one of the earlier tactics that people used was to summon Pegasus, get on Pegasus, fly four spaces, and then bolt the opponent was it in the face. Oh, sure, right. And game <laughs> over in two, in two turns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's still not impossible to do that, but it's it's actually quite difficult to do that. Um, now, what, what did you do to counter that? Because I'm thinking now, yeah, I should definitely try that. Well, I mean, it became a question more of... I didn't want to remove the Pegasus's, you know, special abilities, so we tried to impose the cost in other areas. It's quite a difficult spell to, to, to cast, mm. you know, with a low casting chance. Um, and he's also quite weak physically, so um, relying on, on the Pegasus as a sort of battle charger is, is not very good strategy generally. So, um, yeah, I think the main thing we had to do was, was increase the um, – uh, sorry, decrease the casting chance. And also the, the Pegasus Mega Spell was also used effectively by some wizards, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, you'll see wizards charging around with two Pegasuses following them. <laughs> it's quite funny. So that was that was a tricky one. Um, the undead are also tricky because they have a, again a very special and unique feature, which basically stops them being attacked by anything except you know magical attacks. Um, we kind of balanced the undead a little bit with um, the paladin character who, who has, uh, which is a lawful character, um, has the undead slayer ability, so he can slay in the undead. Uh, we let wizards be able to attack the undead. Um, and basically try to make sure that we kept that unique feature of the undead and, you know, balancing other ways. So I think that's you know, the general approach that we've taken. And again, it's been a process over many, many months trying to balance all of the creature stats. And we collect data, of course, so we know exactly what spells people are casting, what spells they're burning, and so on. So... Um, it takes time, basically, to, to do the balancing. When you look at balancing and when you take this data that you've collected, um, obviously there, there are fewer units with, with more decisive interactions than you might get in, in a lot of games. And this is often determined, the decisiveness, by, by a random number, um, yeah. which means that sometimes, uh, for instance, a rat will kill a sapphire dragon. Um, it is possible, yes. Now, do you have to deal with the fact that some people find this outrageous in the same way, for instance, that there's a classic trope in, in civilization where some people feel that a phalanx should never be able to beat a battleship. No matter how small the odds, it should never happen. Uh, obviously, you don't want anything hard-coded like that. Uh, do you find that people push back? Like, does that... I would be outraged if a rat killed my sapphire dragon. I wouldn't complain to you about it because I know what I'm getting into. Uh, but is that something that you find uh, people react strongly to? Is a game oh, yeah, where a rat can a, kill a sapphire very, dragon? Huh? Very strong reactions in, in that respect, yeah. But actually the typical reactions are more like um, people are saying, well, I, I failed – five 90% casts in a row, but <laughs> the computer or the AI that was playing managed to succeed with five 10% casts in a row kind of thing. And you obviously and, get accused of, like, you're, you're just, uh, like, 
jury rigging the roles against the player? Like, do, do some people say that? Yes, yes, for sure. For sure, there's the distrust of RNGs. Uh, I guess it's it's pretty common. It's not just something that afflicts Chaos Reborn. Of course, we rely on the RNG a lot. Um, and there's a common perception amongst people that uh, you know random numbers are more variable and generate less sequences than they actually really do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it is entirely possible to, to fail 5 70% cast in a row. And if you play the game enough, that is obviously going to happen. Um, right, sooner or later people, you're going to see an incredibly yeah. unlikely streak of, of results. Yeah, yeah. That's right, and this is how random numbers work. But generally people seem to think that's not how random numbers should work, but in, that's how they do work, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, this is a well-known psychological problem, which has been long identified, and you know, it's even been tested as to as to how people's perception of random numbers is is actually generally quite wrong. Um, not sure exactly what we can do about that, except kind of actually make the random number generator manipulated in some way. You didn't ever consider doing um, that, though, did you? Like, you, you're you're fine with it being completely random, right? Uh, yeah, I'm absolutely fine with it. Yes, no, no problem. I think we need to basically assure people that it is actually genuinely random, but of course it's very difficult to prove. Sure. Um, we consider ways of trying to make the random number generation have some kind of human interaction. So, for example, the computer—you know—you get presented with with five cards, and you have to pick one, and that's your that's your number, basically, that kind of thing. Um, but I felt that would be just too intrusive in the general flow of the gameplay to be really worthwhile. Um, it could have, you know, worked to some extent. But I, I think the other perception of of random numbers is is, um, yeah, I guess it's this this feeling that it might be rigged in some way is is kind of um, quite strong. Um, Again, not a huge amount you can do about that, except to say assure people that it absolutely isn't. I mean, I, I contemplated adding actually a, a little, rand, a little um, luck um, tracking system for players, so they can see how how lucky they've actually been in the game. Over like the it would record all the playing history, <laughs> right? Like all the die rolls over their games would, yes, would be exactly, yeah. right, right. Yeah, so they could see, yes. So they, yeah. of course, I mean that would, which might be an interesting thing experiment to do actually. Um, but of course, after a relatively short while, that it would average out very, very close to to even luck. I mean, right. you, you, that's how random numbers work. I mean, uh, you do get some very strange comments from some of the players who. Who again? The perception of random numbers may be a bit strange. And they, one guy said he was complaining about the random number generator, and he said, you know, RNG will screw you in the long term, which I found this to be a very contradictory statement because precisely in the long term is the random number will of course even out. It can screw you in the short term, of course, but not in the long term. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I, I want to ask you a question, Julian. That. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that I want the answer to this question to be no, but I also kind of want the answer to this question, and there's a little part of me that wants the answer to be yes, but mostly mostly I want you to answer no to this question. And Here's the question, Julian. Will there ever be more spells or cards or, or creatures? Like, will, will more stuff get added to Chaos Reborn? Uh, well, actually, the answer is yes. Ha! Huh. Okay. Well, I, the, okay. Um, then in that case, I'm kind of excited. I'm, I'm a little. The weary. answer is yes because okay. we're working on it at the moment. Um, 
I mean, it does depend. I mean, our, our priorities are uh, actually with creating currently the offline realm con- content which we need for our um, GOG release. So yeah, we we have actually quite a big backlog of spells and stuff that we want to add, wanted to add to the game. Um, and we, we will do this, but it probably will be a little bit piecemeal in, in the way that we do it because you know, with each introduction of, of a, um, a new spell potentially introduces you know balancing issues. Well, yeah, I, I, like so, I'm, I'm um, worried you're going to break it. Don't please don't break Chaos Reborn. <laughs> it, it's it's so it's so yeah. great as it is. I don't want you to break it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's had you know, like a year and a half of balancing and testing already. Yeah, so it's kind of well, what what we will be doing. Basically, what we do is rely on our, our scheme, uh, Steam beta testing branch. So we release it into ah, a testing yeah. branch, which um, we have a number of players who are quite happy and very helpful to you know, help us play that and we'll collect data from that as well so once we're happy that it's all working then it gets released to the to the public branch now have you guys talked about what kind of things you're adding or that's still uh, under wraps and you have to sort of do more work to decide that well i can talk in some general terms yeah we we have we want to actually fill in some some gaps really in some of the types of spells that you can get um particularly the structure type spells which aren't that many so we're looking at a number of different structures that could be summoned by wizards. Um, and also the attack spells, which are currently relatively limited. So you've got like a magic bolt and then you've got several varieties of magical attack and that that's it really. So there's a few more planned there. Um, and of course, a few more creatures that are planned. And we had more creatures in the original prototype a year ago, actually. Um, you know, things like the centaur and the fawn and the zombie. So and, and those guys were casualties of the balancing. Like at some point you decided they not just the balancing. They were casualties. Basically, to get true variety of tactics and a true flavour for the different, um, uh, you know, categories of law, neutral, and chaos. You you kind of you get to a point where you've got stuff in there which says, you know, why is it here? You know, why do we have the centaur, which is one of the law creatures? And the centaur was, um, you know, it was fast moving. I mean, it can move three spaces. You also had a bow and arrow. Um, but apart from that, you know, what made it special that could be interesting within a player's strategy is a little bit difficult to see. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of the more difficult ones to cut, but, um, you know, you, it kind of is covered by the elf and the unicorn and other creatures. It's not so; it doesn't really stand out as having some unique role or, or interesting, um, you know, attribute that that stands out. So we, sure. we we cut that. So we cut we cut a number of creatures. I mean, um, we do intend to introduce some more, but they are um, going to be very carefully considered. Good. Uh, now, it's interesting to me that you mentioned gaps in the, the towers because uh, I've played this plenty, and I feel weird saying this, but I don't I don't think I've ever used a, a structure, one of the towers. I mean, I'm sure I have, like, to play around to see what it did, but when I'm playing games with my friends, I, I don't think I've ever used the tower. Uh, I always feel like it's better to try to get out another creature, and I just throw the towers in the, the mana pool. Obviously, I feel like yes. there's something I'm missing that I don't understand. Uh, explain towers to me. What what am I doing wrong? What do I need to do uh, with towers? I guess you're talking about the totems, the Lauren right, right, right. totems. Yeah. yeah, yeah. These are... Um, well, uh, basically, 
Yeah, they, they are pretty good. I mean, the the law one gives a defense buff to all of your creatures, and the coast one gives an, an attack buff to all of your creatures. But only the, the adjacent ones, right? No, no, all of them. Oh, my all. God. Oh, Julian, that's so, why I, I didn't I, – now I know what I'm missing. I just assumed it was only people standing adjacent to it. No, no, no. Oh, no, I'm an idiot. I don't. I. I. I yeah. <laughs> it's the whole battlefield, and that's, um, well, that's what, what makes that's, them. That's what the text says. I mean, the text clearly says to all your creatures, to something like yeah, that. Yeah. And for some yeah, reason, yeah. I just thought, oh, you know, they're a little loose with the language here. It was just me making assumptions. I know. I. I I'm an idiot now for not. I can't believe I've been throwing those in the mana pool. <laughs> that's huge. No, okay. I wouldn't. I mean, now they, they are basically. If you have a lot of creatures on the map. They are a very good thing to to summon, um, especially and you just throw the, them back at your end of the map in a place where the other guy can't. Get yeah, you need to keep yeah. them secure, a safe. Um, if you've got a safe place to do it, then it's good. So, yeah, they're very useful, and not not very useful at the start of a battle, of course. But I mean, you wouldn't want to summon one in the first three or four turns, probably. But yeah, I mean, later on they can be a big uh, big game changer. Yeah. I just had a game where I got that, that shortage of dwarves spell out, and I had five right. dwarves marching slowly, and then they were taking forever to get anywhere. But I'm imagining, you know, if I'd put out that bloodlust totem, the thing that gives them extra attack power, that would have been yeah. huge. Like, I, that, like, I'm now thinking of the mega spells in conjunction with a tower, and what a big That's deal right. that is. I had, okay. It is, it is, yeah. So, yeah, shortage of dwarves is a good one, actually, to um, use with the... Bloodless Titan, or even even the the Lord Titan as well. Um, sure, yeah. So yeah, yeah. But as you as you've seen, the the dwarves are a little bit slow. They do take forever to get anywhere. They're little stubby yeah. legs. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you something else. I do, Julian, and I want you to tell me if I'm foolish to do this. Um, uh-huh. I always, always, always illusion my early easy creatures because I don't want to take a chance of like an eighty or ninety percent thing failing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Am I foolish to do that, or have I found no. the sneaky? Okay. It's very sensible. I mean, I do it frequently as well. Because nobody's going to disbelieve, like, an opening goblin, for instance. No. Yeah. Well, except I I developed a reputation of, for doing this so much that uh, a number of players who I've played, played with a few, quite a few times actually have disbelieved my opening goblins and dwarves. <laughs> but at which point you just stop yeah. doing it. And then, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you have to mix it up a little bit, I right, guess. Right. You have to be you have to be a little bit unpredictable in in, in what you're doing there. Um, but it's always generally a good strategy to cast one or two illusions during battle, and it should be early on in in the battle rather than later, for sure. Uh, what was your directive for the art style? Because the creatures, I mean, obviously there's a thing where like law is blue, chaos is red, neutral is the other colors. Um, mm-hmm. They look kind of. Uh, I don't want to say weird, but they, they definitely have a distinctive look. Uh, what what was your directive? What do you say to your art guys? Uh, I wanted to have a, a style to the game. Again, strong color themes is one of them, for sure. A little bit like the original Chaos, in fact, which was all monochromatic, but still a colorful game. Um, and I wanted some unconventional takes on these traditional fantasy creatures, for example, with the unicorn, has um, actually looks a lot more menacing because he's he's got a like a giant sword on the front of his head. It's like no unicorn just a, I've ever seen. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, or the swordicorn, as some players have called it. <laughs> so yeah, so basically, they they need to to look a bit 
um, not like the conventional fantasy interpretations, really, is what I wanted. I wanted to steer away from that. Um, and I think, you know, the art team did a very nice job of creating some original interpretations there of uh, familiar creatures. And they also read very well, like, when you look down uh, on, on the map. Like, it's, it's yeah, one that's of Yeah, it's also an absolute, absolute requirement, of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, you, you talked a lot about the balancing over uh, the course of the, the beta and as players were banging on it before it became 1.0. Uh, now that it's in the wild, is there anything that has surprised you or any things that you didn't expect to see or, or any weird balancing issues that have emerged with a larger player base? What, what, if anything, have you learned by releasing it in the wild? I think with the basic battle system, there's nothing... Uh, unusual less shocked as no. Mm-hmm. Um, or in terms of the data gathered, for instance, are you seeing people uh, shying away from using certain creatures, for instance? Anything like that? Um, it's a little bit early to tell with okay. the data. I mean, I haven't even bothered to look at it yet because normally we need um, three or four weeks of data to, to get a good feeling for it. Um, and again, we have to discriminate between experienced and inexperienced players to, to get a a proper view because you can have actually widely divergent um, behaviors between the between new players and experienced players uh, and that's one of the, the most difficult um, aspects of balancing any game is that the behavior of your players is ultimately what matters and that actually changes over time and it changes over the course of an individual player's history with the game so yeah we, we don't I haven't looked at it yet. Um, I will do. I mean, it's something that we will be constantly looking at in terms of balancing. So we've done approximately one update per month over the last year and a half, and that will probably continue for sure um, in terms of you know balancing at least. And, I, yeah, we haven't... Uh, there's been no out, outcries about <laughs> the balance at all yet. Sure. Um, there was one little outcry recently about the um, again it's a particular powerful talisman and we got one player who's sticking to a basic strategy of um, summoning a magic wood and then using this talisman called Elsine which will um, by triggering that it will turn the magic woods into elves. Yeah, which is awesome. Not instantly. There's a not right. instantly, but there's a chance that each of them will turn. They into kind of elves. melt away, and you get a free yeah. elf out of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So basically, what he was doing is he's um, summoning magic wood the first turn, and spending a lot of mana by discarding lots of his spells to to uh, activate that talisman again in the first turn. So by the second turn, he stands a good chance of having about two elves. And having two elves on the second turn is actually you know, quite a major bonus. But on the other hand, of course, he's burned through half his spell deck. Right. And again, there's no guarantee of actually achieving this because he's still got to cast the magic wood first and so on. So, um, you know, there's some debate raging about whether this is completely overpowered or not. Um, I suspect the more experienced players will be able to deal with it reasonably well, but you know it's a difficult uh, thing. So things like that we have to watch out for. You, you uh, like the the game currently the way it's built now is you can play. I think it's called classic and equipped, but yeah. you can basically yeah. play a game without any of the special stabs and talismans. Yes, um, that's right. Yeah. Do you have a sense for whether more players lean one way or the other? Is can you tell if one mode or the other is more popular? 
Uh, yeah, the equipped mode is definitely more popular, yes. Okay. Um, but the classic mode is very popular with uh, a number of players, especially players of the original Chaos, actually. <laughs> and um, it's regarded more as the the pure um, the pure essence of the original game reincarnated in a new form. And we always in, always intended to have the classic mode there. Um, and yes, it's proving popular with, with quite a few players. Uh, and finally, Julian, I'm curious. Um, I, I, because of your history and because of, uh, you know, I remember a lot of the early games you made as a, as a huge board gamer. Uh, I do love this return to uh, a simplicity and fewer pieces, giving you more dramatic decisions. Being able to look at the board and get a, a visual sense of what's going on without ha- having to look at a lot of numbers or stats. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't. I think that a lot of the 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 gaming press these days, the people who write about games, and of course a lot of the press is, is YouTube streamers and stuff. Um, have, is this an easy game or a hard game to sell to the people who write about and cover and do videos of games? Basically, the press at large. Uh, is it a hard game? I, I think it probably is. Um, I guess part of what I'm asking is, are you happy with how people have been talking, with the conversations about it in, in gaming publications and gaming circles? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there's been generally very interesting and favorable reaction so far, anyway. Um, I think where where the problem occurs is that, that Chaos Reborn doesn't easily fit into any particular game style or, or genre or something like that so you know some people expect it to be um you know a typical ccg style mechanic or typical rpg mechanics and you know because it doesn't have hit points it can't be a proper game you know that kind of thing <laughs> that's one that keeps coming up uh there's outrage you know, there's some disbelief that um that there should be a game which it has creatures that die with one hit. Right. The, the and, rat killing the sapphire dragon. Yeah, the sapphire and, dragon should have at least ten hit points, Julian. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And B, that the, the game can have so much RNG in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and people regard this as just not acceptable. Um, I mean, for many of us who are board gamers, of course, the random numbers are more acceptable. You know, kind of used to, to it. But a number of modern gamers don't seem to be able to deal with it at all. Well, good. Well, I'm glad to hear on the most part that uh, that people understand it. I mean, it certainly uh, it, it makes you guys kind of unique. Uh, there's just yes. nothing quite like Chaos Reborn out there, I have to say. Yeah. No. So. Well, uh, Julian, uh, I thank you so much for talking to me de- today, and I want to congratulate you on, I guess, mainly how the game turned out. I'm I'm delighted with it, and. I hope it does well for you guys. Yeah, you guys at Snapshot Games, I hope it does well for you because you you, you certainly deserve it. Thank you. Uh, Nick, I don't don't think you play Chaos Reborn, am I I right? Uh, I have it, but I haven't dived into it yet. Okay, because I I just – well, you know what? If you ever want to dive in, I'm your huckleberry, as they say. Um, I've been playing a fair bit with uh, Jason McMaster, who also hosts the podcast – and in case folks are wondering, uh, McMaster and I, uh, just by a, a rough cocktail napkin calculation that I've made, we've played four games, and I have won uh, 12 of them. <laughs> That's just how how bad McMaster loses and how, how hard I win. 
So, uh, so it's it's like uh, it's like early on when you used to play Chess Master like seven thousand or whatever, and you would make your first move, and Chess Master would immediately tell you, "Oh, checkmate in twelve moves." Right, you exactly. Just you don't even have to play the game out. Yeah, you're done <laughs> at that point, right? So that's kind of oh, okay. Yeah, but McMaster's getting better. He's made it a couple of occasions to like the third turn um, before he. A lot of times he'll just like stop taking his turns because he's scared, and I can understand that. Uh, uh, so uh, we, by the way, we'll have McMaster back, and, and Nick, you come back next week. We want to talk some Fallout Three, but that will, Fallout Four, sorry, uh, that will be next week. This week, Nick, what have you recently? <laughs> what have we both recently <laughs> finished playing? Uh, that would be Call of Duty Black Ops Three. Mm. Now, <laughs> why are you laughing? What, what's the matter? What? What? It's, I, I think you're mm, – kind of said it. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, – I, I, I liked the last one. Uh, actually, I didn't play a lot of the last one. I should say I kind of skipped last year's because of – I fiddled with it a little bit. But the, the one before, I kind of liked. Um, I wonder if I'm just like losing my patience for Calls of Duty. Wait. So you liked Advanced Warfare or yes. you didn't like Advanced Warfare or I, you did? I did, I did, yes, I quite liked it. Uh, it. But but then Ghosts? Ghosts, I also... So wait, what was the one with Kevin Spacey? <laughs> that was Advanced Warfare. Oh, right, right. Okay, so that one I didn't review. I just fiddled with that a little bit. I had a lot going on at that point, so I didn't play much of the Ke- Call of Duty Kevin Spacey. That's how I think of it. Uh, right. I played a little bit of it, and I was like, okay, this is fine, but I've got other things to do. Uh, the one before, which I guess was Ghosts, I, I did kind of like. Uh, and part of what I responded to, and part of what I historically respond to with Calls of Duty, is just how much is in the in the game. You know, you've got a campaign, you've got some kind of co-op. Uh, in the case of Ghosts, I think it was this cool, like, co-op against aliens that you level up during. Um, you've got the multiplayer. Uh, so there's just so much content there. Uh, so obviously, Nick, with all of the content in Call of Duty Black Ops 3, we should love this, right? I mean, there's a ton. There's a ton of stuff in there. Yeah, and even uh, there's co-op all through the single-player stuff, the traditionally single-player campaign. All that's co-op now, right? So it should be awesome. Right, and I talked about that last uh, podcast. There's there's a ton of new stuff in it. You made me think, yeah, the co-op is the fourth cool thing there. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry. Well, I no, please. I'm always happy to. I, I never mind playing games that I don't like, uh, and I would say this was one of them. Uh, and so let's talk about the four different things. Uh, oh boy! First of all, the campaign. Campaigns have always been a little silly. Uh, when I did my review, I think I spent a lot of time just talking about how stupid the campaign was because it really. I mean, does anybody think that it's good or that it makes sense or? Does anybody come away from that campaign not sadly shaking his or her head at, at what a mess it was? Yeah, I, I mean the – so I, I mean the story is just a lot of incomprehensible sci-fi, and that's with wise. Uh, <laughs> right, just, right. <laughs> like just bullshit. It's, it, it's, it, it's some – I mean all I can imagine is someone saw – a lot of Inception and Matrix and thought, oh, man, we are going to really 
fuck with the players and really get them thinking about this deep stuff and, you know, not realizing that it's, you know, just freshman level philosophy bullshit. And it's it, it's so bad. <laughs> furthermore, they don't really set it up. Like, I don't care about and I don't know, you know any of the characters. So when we go into this trippy, hey, let's get into the mind of this character, now that character, and hey, is this an illusion or is that an illusion? My response at those points is kind of like, why should I care? None of this matters to me. And furthermore, when you go into these illusions, because uh, other games have had this, like other games, like I think of the Scarecrow levels in, in Batman, you know. Sure. Uh, and other games do this. They set it up well in a, in a good game. Uh, and they don't try to just make you play the game normally when you're doing the trippy stuff. So when you go into these bits in Call of Duty and you're just – you're just shooting the same dudes again. Like, you go into a dream to do the same thing you were doing when you weren't dreaming. Um, it clearly says to me, this kind of gameplay really doesn't support this kind of mind trip stuff. Uh, they just haven't set it up well, and I didn't feel they executed it well. And they lean, like you said, so heavily on it. I mean, they really want that to be part of the experience. That's the core, like, selling point for the single-player campaign. Yeah. Yeah, I was constantly as far as the story goes, I was I found myself constantly surprised at how mediocre it all was. Yeah. I just it, like I I guess I expected a lot better for I, I mean, you know, it, it it Call of Duty has always been kind of you know, super bombastic. The stakes are always, you know, it's the destruction of the world or mm-hmm. Russia's invading or whatever. And it's, you know, it, it's sort of the Transformers movies of ah, right. campaigns, which, you know, can be enjoyable in its own way. And then I guess because, you know, it also shared that Black Ops name, I, I sort of expected that storyline to continue um, in this one, which I guess there's a couple tiny Easter egg sort of callbacks to the Black Ops 2 and 1, but I mean, really, it's got nothing to do with any of it. It's just, you know, it's just here's this post-apocalyptic kind of <laughs> world set up, and there's robots everywhere now, and you're uh, apparently Commander Shepard. Um, yeah, because you have these superpowers, <laughs> right? And, and you can be a boy or girl, and yeah, exactly. And you have the the Mass Effect superpowers. Yep, you have the Mass Effect superpowers, and 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 then you know, in the second level, I and I think it's the second level, right? It's the first time, or it's this, it's the first time Christopher Maloney really addresses you, right? right. Um, when he shows up, and he kind of gives you like a little backstory, and it, they introduce that whole, you know, hey, now that you're jacked in and you're you know, half your brain as a computer or whatever, we can, you know, we can show you whatever images we want to give you. I mean, at that point, you know, all bets are off. And I just like, okay, so from now on, everything is going to be fake, right? Like, <laughs> I was kind of like, I, I, mean, I mean, when that when that was introduced, that concept of we can revisit past events, you can go into any point in those events, you can see them from any moment. I mean, it was clearly, if you've seen Duncan Jones's movie Source Code, it was clearly right. that idea. Like, that's, I think, where a movie that expressed that idea. And when they introduced that idea, I, I right, even thinking, down to the train explosion. Right, right, exactly, exactly. It's, it's, it's that same setup. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. <laughs> it's kind of like they're making no bones about hiding the fact that, you know, you saw this in Source Code, now you're going to play it in Black Ops 3. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of at that point was like, oh, there's a lot of opportunity here. You know, there's they can play with some cool narrative stuff. Uh, 
I, I you know, they can do cool levels. Like the last level of Painkiller is all these, these, these frozen moments in wartime. And I'm like, yeah, they can do cool stuff like that. Let's go with this. And it, it just didn't really go anywhere. Yeah. Right. That was my <laughs> – that was another one of those surprises I was talking about where right. I was just, you know, oh, they're going to they're gonna do this. That's clever. And then, no, never mind. They're not. <laughs> Nick, what is the – I mean there's the – there's the uh, I, I don't know how much of a spoiler this is going to be, but there's a level where you go – you know, you're in the past. Right. Basically. We'll call it the back in time level because yeah, – Right. Sure. And so I thought – you know, well, okay, I guess this is all right. But then, you know, they kind of drop the ball there. If you pay attention, uh, yeah, all the enemies just drop normal weapons. You've got your normal weapon. Like you're not, you know, I thought maybe you would use a World War II. Uh, I guess I'm spoiling it there. That's <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, you know what? I think at this point, uh, it's the cat. that cat is out of the bag. And it's, and it's not, by the way, when it happened, I wasn't like, oh, cool. I was like, really? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was disappointing to me, too, because I thought it, right away – and this is uncharitable of me, but the first thought that popped in was, well, of course it's a World War II level because they've still got assets left over from World yeah. at War. Exactly. <laughs> right. That's kind of what I was thinking. But no, Nick, it's it's clearly character-driven because the character studied best – she wrote a paper on Bastogne. Oh, God. So that's, a, that's why I think <laughs> they, you know, they set that up. I, I always love it, by the way, when you're talking to someone and they're like, oh, yeah, I wrote a, I wrote a paper about that in college. Like, is that, like, I can't remember a thing about any paper I wrote in college. Any paper I wrote in college, I, I, I have no authority to speak on that topic any longer because I don't remember the papers I wrote in college. I stayed up and did them overnight. Uh, you know, nobody – you know, you write a paper in college that – it's not an impactful experience on you to where it haunts your brain for the rest of your life. Uh, yeah. And that's what this was for the girl who wrote the paper on Bastogne. Yeah. Uh, here's the funny thing, Nick, about that. So – Obviously, this is like a, a dream that you're in. It's like a cyber dream that's in your sure. head and it's in someone else's head, and you share it together because you're you're like a hive link. You're the cloud. Like again, they never use that term, but I was thinking, oh, they're the cloud. Um, so you go back in World War II, and, and in these levels in Call of Duty Black Ops 3, and this is kind of cool, you can find collectibles. And when you find them, you can choose which collectibles to put in your bunk, like which one to feature. Uh, you know, you physically put up uh, a, a Russian helmet or a, a, a drill bit from an oil platform. And and then whenever you, you spawn there after a mission, you're like, oh, I remember when I did that. It's like in Wing Commander. They, they would show you in your quarters reminders of missions that you've played. Yeah, a little tchotchke shelf. Exactly. So I found in the World War II level <laughs> – was it a German – it was a German helmet? or No, it was a Russian hat. A Russian hat. And, wait a minute. Was it a Russian hat? Why would that be at best tone? At any rate, I found some collectible. And I was like, oh, I can't – what are they going to do with this? I can't physically put this in my quarters, can I? Because this is a dream. And nope, it's there. You can totally feature it. <laughs> you go into a dream and you come out physically with a physical collectible that you put on your tchotchke shelf, which I don't think – at that point, I don't think that Treyarch is thinking this through. Uh, it's sort of like, yeah, every level gives you a collectible you can put on the shelf. Why not this level? Um, so. Oh, God. Speaking of not thinking things through, <laughs> how about that female player? I don't – how about her? What about her? <laughs> uh, okay. So first of all, <laughs> the, one of the first things the game throws at you when you go into the campaign mode is 
hey, customize your character. So you got a choice. Oh, you can be Ben Browder or uh, the the woman. I, I forget the woman uh, actor that portrays her. Wait, Ben Browder okay, is, you, the, is the name of the dude who does the male player? Yeah, that's the actor, why Ben you, Browder. Why do you know that? I don't know. I'm horrible. That's why. Is, is he like a famous actor? Like I normally am good with actors. I don't know. Is he like a someone that we know from other games or from TV or something? Uh, I, I, you know what? I don't know if he's in other games, but I think he was in – was he in Farscape or Stargate? He, he was one of those okay. guys. Okay, cool. And and the, the same with the chick. Like they were they were saying, this is the girl playing your player character. Like it's somebody that some right. people would know. Okay, cool. Yeah. So he, so the first thing it hits you. Oh, okay. Choose male or female. So you, you choose you know male if you want to be boring, or you choose female if you you know think awesome. Hey, here's my first time to play a Call of Duty campaign as a female. Uh-huh. Um, and then the next thing that comes up is oh, customize your head. And then it's like half a dozen of the same head, literally I, just colored a little, slightly differently. They might have had different shaped noses, or I was I was thinking the same thing. Like, wait a minute, these kind of look. <laughs> yeah. But I tend to and like, I just thought, uh-huh. like, why are you bothering? Yeah. And they all have like super buzz cut things too. Like I like when I'm playing a female character, I like to have a ponytail or braids or a bouffant beehive thing going, or you know. They these women all have shaved heads. I guess it's the military thing. Fair enough. You got that GI Jane look going. Um, sure. And uh, so, yeah, I, I don't want to ruin the, the ending, but at the ending, I don't know. I, I I'm just I I'm I'm so perplexed by this potentially cool little teaser that they leave the game with, but I have no idea how it would work if you're a female character. It seems to make no sense to me that you've been playing a oh, female character. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah. this thing happens at the end, which is kind of almost like like uh, like Metal Gear Solid Five, where at the end, you, I don't know, well, where where like you you aren't who you think you are, and there's a mysterious identity, and maybe this changeling kind of thing going, or or you've changed, and something like that happens, and I just don't know how it's supposed to work if you were a female character, and I don't think Treyarch thought that through either. Yeah, so yeah, I, I don't think they care. I don't yeah. think they care. I. Yeah. I, I, even mechanically, I don't get that from the from the campaign. Like, like they give you these Mass Effect superpowers, right? Um, and there's a there's a small cooldown on some of it. First of all, they give you a, a I don't know how many superpowers to choose from, but I, I don't know. Let's go with twenty four, uh-huh. right? Okay. There's a ton of superpowers, but they all come down to uh, kill the enemy, right? Is well, the super right? You've yeah. you've got You've got like, oh, I can make them blow up or I can electrocute them or I can blast them with fiery bees or whatever they are. Or, you know, I think there's one power that allows you to uh, short circuit the cameras or the drones or whatever and take over for a little bit. But but by and large, all the powers are just kill the enemy, Um, which is fine. But there's no reason not to just spam the hell out of those powers all throughout the campaign. Right. I do think what they want you to do is just – and that's what the cooldown is, is you shoot, 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 shoot. Oh, I've got my power. Use it. Shoot, 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 shoot. Oh, there's my power. Use it again. Shoot, 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 shoot. Oh, there's my power. Like I think they're just wanting with that cooldown to every now and then say, hey, here's a little power you can use. Instead of just shooting someone, you can immolate them. Or, yeah. <laughs> which Which would have been fine, but apparently their solution to put a sense of urgency – into those situations, right? To, to make you want to shoot 
during the cooldown period, I found, was, well, we're going to put these robots in that basically just bum rush you. Right. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They have no AI. Ironic, right, that the artificial intelligent robots have no AI. They just... They just clamor forwards towards you shooting and you, you know. Well, you know what's hilarious, Nick, is it's one of the AI things that you see all the time. And I remember seeing this, I guess, in the original Unreal. Do you remember what those creatures were called in Unreal, by the way? Like the monsters that you fight? Oh, the Scarge. Oh, is that right? Like SKRJ, yeah. I think you're right. Right. So, I'm probably mispronouncing it all to hell, though. No, but I think you've totally got it. I think that's right. And their AI innovation, innovation was they would roll to the side. Like yes. They would do a sidestep. So that's what some of the like advanced robots do in, in Black Ops 3. If there's the ones that rush at you, there's some that I guess are just standing there shooting you. But then every now and then, you'll shoot at one, and it'll do that scarge sidestep. And that's like their big AI trick is, hey, I'm moving sideways, so you can't shoot me that quickly. Hey, it's a, I do a little jink to the side. Yeah. Now, here's what drove me crazy, Nick. And I <laughs> I, I forgot to mention this in the review because I, I loathed this. And once I realized it was happening, I was totally like, you know, F this game. Uh, and I was like flipping at the bird right and left. <laughs> <laughs> there are levels here, and it's always the robots, with infinite enemies. Like I thought that that was passe in Calls of Duty now is that – is to not have it where enemies constantly come at you until you hit a checkpoint. Like it used to be in the last few games, I thought, that you could kind of hang back and clear out the level and you didn't have to like rush into danger to hit a scripting point. Um, but those robots, the closet, the, the little thing they walk out of, it turns around like the bookshelf in Young Frankenstein. And every time <laughs> it turns around, there's a new robot in it. So those things are spitting out freaking infinite robots. Yeah, sure. Why not, right? When you've got, uh, you know, when it's all in your head, I mean. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah. Even though, like, there's a a level where you're supposed to, like, you got to get to the center of a big room. And I kept dying because I'm going in and there's so many robots there. And you've literally got to run up to the middle of the room where they're they're congregating. Um, So I tried that several times just hanging back thinking, oh, I'm going to thin out the robot herd. And it kept not thinning out. And I was thinking, man, there's a lot of these guys. Uh, so eventually I finished it and only later saw those young Frankenstein bookshelf robot spawner things. Uh, so yeah, infinite enemies. Oh my God. So annoying. Uh, all right. So oh, Nick, and, oh, yes, um, yes. one last thing mechanically, was there ever a reason to not have that holographic visor vision up? I know. Why would they even turn that off? Like I would be, <laughs> I would find myself playing for a while and thinking, oh, I forgot to tap three, you know, 20 minutes ago. Uh, and then sometimes, like, what, what is it? There would be times where you would do not a full level transition. Oh, when you would walk through those little doors in the final, like, trippy dream sequence, you have to walk through a door and it sort of loads a new area. Every time it loads a new off. area, it turns it off. Yeah. Why would you ever turn that off? Uh, yeah. I, I had no idea why you would ever turn that off. Yeah. Ever. Ever. Wait. And then I just thought, you know, the main character, I just, like, it's, it's quite possibly the saddest life ever. If I'm supposed to believe that the main character lived for five years in that little bunk closet thing with the little hub area and the little janitor mopping the floor <laughs> forever. <laughs> Wait, was that was that how long it took after you get your bionic hands or something? Like, yeah, that's there... what they say. Yeah, it was in there was like a little you get your bionic parts and there's this montage of stuff and really quickly she says oh right. it's been five years that we've been doing this and i was like 
okay. And then we open up and she's living in this tiny bunk thing. And I thought, that is the saddest life ever. <laughs> no wonder why she shoots people. I'm sure that on one of those big old consoles, like you could play World of Warcraft or something. Probably that was an option. Yeah. Uh, Nick, let's talk the multiplayer because that's always uh, a prominent feature of Call of Duty for a lot of people. Not for me. Uh, I do not I, – I played a few times and, and consistently, without fail, was always at the bottom of the leaderboard, which is fine. That's not my bag. Uh, but I do appreciate you can play the bots. You mentioned, Nick, that you have to be online to play the bots. You have to be online to play the bots. That's weird. Like what – What? why? What? What's going on? Why would they do that? I, I, I assume because Activision, fuck you. Wow, okay. That's, that's what I assume. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I, yeah, you can go to bot mode uh, in multiplayer. You can play all the modes with bots. All the equipment is unlocked be, too. Like you, you don't oh, yeah. get any of the progression yeah. stuff. You just pick whatever loadout you want. Yep, yep. You so. have to have an online connection though. Oh, okay. Well, that's where. Well, okay. So if you're if you're stationed on a on a ship out in the in the like in the ocean, if you're in the navy, don't get attached to bot mode. No, you you may enjoy the campaign in offline mode. (laughs) Right, right, and that's it. Uh, So the competitive multiplayer for people who don't want to just play against bots, how are you finding that, Nick? Um, I... Uh, I mean, it's serviceable, I guess, is the nicest thing I can say about it. It's awfully familiar, though, isn't it? It's very familiar. Um, So... I guess for people not familiar with it, it's uh, advanced warfare kind of introduced, you know, the, the a bunch of Titanfall type movement. Right. Um, you know, parkouring on walls, double jumping, jetpack booster stuff, a um, lo- lot of vertical movement. Um, and I think, it, you know, for longtime Call of Duty players, that was it was kind of sacrilege. Um, so you had you had a big split in the community, right? Whether whether it should keep going down this road or whether they should go back to the 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 you know the kind of modern warfare to you know more horizontal two D type stuff. And um, I wonder, Nick, real quick, if that accounts for the continued popularity of Black Ops Two, being that that was the last one where the movement was more literally grounded. Is that is that right? I, I think so. Okay. I think so. I mean, you know, beyond uh, you know what what the hardcore say about balance and networking issues or whatever, I I feel like two was probably the last one where uh, it sort of reached that apex where everybody felt like, okay, this is the you know this is the Call of Duty multiplayer I want or whatever. Right. And if the if the jet assisted jumping bothers you, that's the last one that you stick with. Like if you're a hardcore, yeah, no jumping around in Call of Duty. You stick with Black Ops Two, I guess. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. I. Well, I don't know how much Ghost had. I don't remember. Could, don't know because doesn't Ghost give you an exosuit? Like Ghost was all about you pick your ex. Oh, not Ghost. No, that's Advanced Warfare again. <laughs> no, yeah, right. Call of Duty, Kevin Spacey. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah. It's amazing how they blend together. <laughs> it really is. That's what happens with the yearly franchises. At least Assassin's Creed goes to like a different specific town. You're like, oh, okay, Assassin's Creed London, Assassin's Creed Italy, Assassin's Creed. Uh, what was the last one? There? Oh, America, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so uh, Ghost was also a more grounded one, you're saying? I, I think Ghost was a more grounded one. Advanced Warfare really went Titanfall. Right. Um, and then, so this one is kind of, they kind of pulled back a bit on the movement, you know, not not so much the jetpacking. There's a, 
you can you can kind of mantle and you can do double jump type stuff, but it's it's nowhere near the you know flying around and shooting like Boba Fett or something. Right, right. Uh, that was available in the last game. I, it, it, but I think the big you know the big innovation here it, it, that people uh, kind of latch onto is the specialists, um, mm-hmm. which are you know characters that you play that have either a unique weapon uh, or a unique power um, that you can pull out. Like they, like one of them is a guy that can either uh, have this you know crazy gun or he can have a two of these gravity spike things that he slams into the ground and, you know, area of attack kind of kills everybody in a little circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they, you know, they, they've got a cool down period and you, you kind of build it up by kills, etc. I, I don't know if I like it. <laughs> can I defend the specialist system? And I'd be curious what you think of this. And I, I wonder if this is why they put it in. Uh, okay, go. I have always... Um, I, I admire basically from not while not playing the Call of Duty, uh, the system of like the kill streaks. Like I love this idea of you pick which kill streaks you want, and there's a trade-off. If you want something super powerful, you need to get more kills to to turn it on. If you just want UAVs, whatever, get three kills fired up for your team. Um, and you pick three of them, and it's a really difficult choice. It's like which three am I going to pick? Um, However, my problem with them is they are activated by getting kills, and I am not really good enough to where I'm ever going to get to use any of the really fun killstreak tools. Um, I feel that that, that's a mechanic that has this rich-get-richer reward. Like the people who are already good at the game who end up at the top of the leaderboard, end up at the top of the score at the end of the the game with like you know 32 kills or whatever, those are the guys that get to play with the really powerful, fun toys. Um, so for me, the specialist, and I'm certain, by the way, that the specialist, whatever energizes that weapon, it is definitely not kills, Nick. I mean, that might get, make it go faster, but when I'm playing and not getting kills, I, maybe I'm pretty sure it turns on. Like, I'm pretty sure I've been able to use it online. I know I get to use it against bots, so maybe it is kills. Um, no, I, I think you're right. I think there's a uh, – it, it just fills up. Yeah. With time. Okay, that's what um, I thought. So eventually it just unlocks. Because there's a perk, of course, that you can unlock that, you know, sets it forward a little bit. So you can get yours okay. faster. And and the thing is it's for guys like me who who are never gonna get the fun kill streak toys. Now I've got I think there are what, five, six specialists, each with two powers. I've got ten, twelve powers that I can play with no matter how much I suck. You know, if I jump into a match and I'm terrible at the game, I'm still going to be able to get a couple of kills with that area effect thing that you talked about because I'm just going to run around, and next time I'm near a a bad guy, I'll just fire that off, and I don't have to aim or shoot or anything. Um, So I feel like the specialists are toys for those of us who aren't good enough to play with the killstreak toys. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Um, I think if you were a a fair to middling player, uh, you're right. Uh, past Call of Duties, it was very hard to get to the cool stuff. Like you'd see, you'd see people online that would you know do these C-130 you know cannon attacks, or they you know they'd get these awesome turrets that plop down and just kill everyone. And you know if you never got enough kills, then you know all you ever got was the UAV. <laughs> exactly right. 
which, you know, felt terrible, right? Like, you would just, ah, oh, God, here we go. I'm my little UAV that does nothing, really. <laughs> yeah, because I certainly, um, when a UAV comes up, I if I'm busy looking at the little mini-map for the red dots, I get shot. If I'm looking at the main map, I don't notice the red dots on the mini-map. Like, I don't have the skills to watch that mini-map out of the corner of my eye and also play. So UAVs don't help me a lot, but when I fire them off, you know, I hope my team is enjoying them. <laughs> Here you go, guys. I can't really use this. Maybe it'll be helpful to one of you guys. Or, or you know, the the other team enjoys shooting them down and farming the uh, XP. Can you shoot these down? Because I looked for – I've been looking for them. Like, they're, they're physical UAVs still on the map, right? Like, that's all – Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can okay. shoot them down. Good. I, I love doing that because I can do that, by the way. I can sit at the edge <laughs> of the map, like where you spawn. I can just hang back with a little lock-on launcher and wait for the other team to, to launch a UAV. And I, I kill it. I'm good at that. I've probably got a lot of those kills in Calls of Duty. Yeah. Yeah. In principle, I'm not opposed to the specialist idea. I think okay. the specialist idea could actually work. My issue with it is I don't know that Treyarch really did a lot of balancing on this, um, which maybe, you know, maybe that's their intent. You know, maybe, maybe it's like when Blizzard says they're not going to really balance you know, PVP and Diablo or whatever. And they just, yeah, F it, you know, you guys will figure it out. (laughs) Because at this point, when you join, you know, online, there's, you know, it it does that thing where it lists like, hey, here's everybody on your team and here's the players on the other team. And it has the little pictures of the specialists. Uh And at this point, it's the same five or, you know, on your team, it's the same two. And then on the other team, it's the other two. And that's it. Like over and over and over again, you just see the same specialist right, right. getting used because, I, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure that some of those specialists are just terrible right, compared right. to the other ones. <laughs> uh, one of the things that the Calls of Duty have, have done to, I think, balance the weapons is there's a, there's a progression for the specific weapon. Like there's an incentive to use the pistol if you want to level it up. I don't think there's anything like that with the specialists, is there? Uh no. Okay, like no, there's not no really. yeah, it doesn't it doesn't get better. Right. There's um, no progression to incentivize using the supposedly less useful specialist powers, yeah. Um, right. And and some of them are are, you know, terrible. Which one <laughs> who's your who's your favorite? Like who do you take like is there one obviously then there's one or two that you really prefer, right? Well, I think I I mean the easiest one probably to use is the uh the what you call it the ground pound guy right. you know with the with the gravity spikes cuz you just you just run into you know one or two guys you fire that off and you kill them right. and that's easy it's easy it it happens pretty quickly um you know I'm seeing a lot of use of the girl with the sniper bow Basically. Oh, I've won. Okay. Yeah. Like people who are um, good at sniping using that? Yeah. People okay. who are great at sniping use that a lot. Um, and then you never see, uh, specifically, it's, I guess his name is Prophet. And he's got like some kind of electro chain gun, which isn't bad. So I see that every now and then, but you never see when he uses the glitch power, which is the, it basically shifts him backwards in time. Um, how does that work? Like, what? Is, how does that manifest itself in gameplay? <laughs> so the way it manifests itself is, let's say you're, you know, you're running through the level, right. you hit glitch, and then it, it basically just resets you about two seconds back. 
to where you were. Oh, so the rest a, of the world keeps going. It's just a physically backwards teleport spell, basically. Yeah, that's okay. it. It just okay. physically teleports you back wherever it was. And of course, you know, here here we have a lot of maps where you're moving around semi-vertically. You're doing wall runs, and there's a lot of areas where you have to right. do wall runs where you'll fall off the map, for example. Right. Oh, um, awesome. I see where this is going. So yeah, so Glitch... Not a great power if you're right. doing any of that stuff, right? Because <laughs> it's going to basically reset you to, oh, wow, now I'm floating in air. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> let's, let's see. Where was I two seconds ago? i got to make sure I remember, yeah, not to use glitch for at least several seconds, right? Uh, yeah, you hardly ever see that picture come up when, right. when the little match starts. And it's like, okay, so that character sucks. <laughs> uh, have you been called any names online yet? Oh, tons. Okay, yeah, because I got asked if I was a real chick. Like that—that's the one that I normally get. I use the name Tom Chick online, and oh, but that's not too bad. It's not too bad, but I'm like, what? Why would you say that to a username? I, I don't know. You're right. It's not. I wasn't called anything. I haven't played enough to be called anything bad because I—I normally leave the game right after the score comes up because they're probably going to make fun of me for being lost anyway. I don't want to hear it, <laughs> so I'm out of there. Uh, yeah. Uh, so is is because normally I think for. Call of Duty fans, some of the, the the most enduring staying power comes from the the multiplayer. Uh, is that something that you think will keep you going for for a while with uh, Call of Duty Black Ops Three? Um, well, I, I I mean it could. I don't. It's tough to say right now because of course, you know we've got Fallout Four well, in the hopper. What, what is that? I don't, I don't <laughs> think I vaguely recall hearing something about that. Yeah, right. yeah there was something coming out about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Right. So, but if if let's say there wasn't a lot of competition for your time, is this something that you here here you go, Nick? Is there a previous Call of Duty that you would rather spend your time with if you were playing Call of Duty multiplayer? Like, is this one that you can say, yeah, it's the latest one, therefore the best. I would stick with this one. Or are you one of these? You know what? I'd rather be playing Black Ops Two type guys. Um, I, I mean, at this point, I I would still play this multiplayer just because this is where the community has moved to mm -hmm. okay um and you kind of have to keep up with the joneses <laughs> as far as that goes it is it uh, is the new hotness nick the <laughs> it is the new hotness yeah, um yeah. It, you know ask me that in a year i don't know right well you know, know we'll we'll have a new one then or we maybe won't yeah we'll, we'll see maybe, if Activision maybe to, to the yearly <laughs> schedule or not yeah uh finally nick let's talk some zombie stuff has that been something that you've enjoyed or do you care much about zombie mode Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, I know people love the zombie mode. I just – the – I think zombie mode for me is just incomprehensible. I just I, – I don't get it. I don't get the the weird Easter egg progression that you have to do, yeah. right? Because it's not just, you know, move from this area to this area fighting hordes of zombies. It's Oh, you have to you have to get the statue of the Cupid doll and put it in this one basket, and, and then you have to blow up this car tire, and then you have to turn this lever to make this happen. Right. Well, duh. You didn't know that. Come on, how do you not know that, Nick? Jeez. Uh, yeah, it, and that's what bothers me about this zombie mode. Um, and I guess they're just sticking with what works. But you spawn into a map, and until you've endured you know, 10 waves or whatever several times over, you're not going to know how the map works because the map is going to work a certain way. Like you right. said, you know, you have to turn on the power and then there's all these, you know, in, in one of the new levels, you got to do this ritual that requires bringing certain items into a room that closes off. And, and if you do the ritual before everyone is there, 
you're doing it alone. You have to fight these crazy flying demon things alone. Uh, so it, it, you know, obviously you have to cooperate, and you also have to really know whatever the map tricks are. And I just, I just want to kill zombies. You know, I don't want to have to do a, a whole big, extended, drawn out level puzzle thing. Uh, and that's how they've always made this zombie mode. Uh, and eventually, it just becomes like a brick wall for me. Is I can jump in online with other players. I can sort of see, okay, who seems to know what he or she is doing? I follow that character. Uh, and that's a way to learn the map. But then I'm, again, you know, I'm now I'm playing a puzzle trying to figure out a level and not just having this great zombie horde mode. Uh, right. I, I feel like mechanically it's all there. You know, it's it's got the killing the zombies. It's got the kind of progression going on. Yeah. Um, I should enjoy it. But then there's that you know, completely obtuse, you know, you better go watch a YouTube video to figure out what's going on well, <laughs> kind of thing going on. I guess that's how people do it, isn't it? Is there? I think so, yeah. yeah and right. I just, I don't do that. So I just, uh, I, I never know what's going on. Right, right. <laughs> uh, there but is, yeah. on the flip side, uh-huh. you do get Jeff Goldblum. Man, I love that. I, I, now, I've forgotten who the other, I know Ron Perlman is one of them. Are we supposed to recognize who the other two are? I think we are. There's someone famous. Well, Heather Graham is the femme oh fatale. Oh, my God. That's supposed to be Heather. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe it. So I, it doesn't I, look like her at all. I know. So I know someone that uh, – I, I think it's okay to say. Uh, a friend of mine works at Treyarch, and my friend has talked about like, like some of the motion capture and how excited my friend was to work with certain people. And after it was announced, my friend would mention who these people were. Uh, you know, I didn't get any inside information. And I remember thinking, oh, cool. You know, Katie Sackhoff is in it. Oh, cool. They've got Heather Graham. I played all the way through the campaign before I realized, oh, that was Katie Sackhoff. Because <laughs> it doesn't really look like her. And to say, I can't believe that's, that's Heather Graham. Oh, my God. So who's the detective dude with the mustache? I, I, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. I know. I know Jeff Goldblum's the magician. Unmistakably, by the way, the voice. And even though they put the goofy mustache on him, which I love – you, you can't mistake that for anyone else. I love that. that that's so yeah, he's great. Goldblum. Yeah, he's uh, great. I, lo- I love the the deadpan uh, delivery. I love the. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really sounds like he almost hates being there. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, he really does. Like, I mean, that's the thing is these characters have been like kidnapped and put in this magical arena where they have to get out and they're there against their will and they're like and there's a mysterious voice talking to them. But Jeff Goldblum seems. It's not like a Peter Dinklage hates being there. Like Peter Dinklage for for Destiny, just completely deadpan, was uninterested in what he was saying. You know, Jim oh, Hopewell, yeah, yeah. he's super energetic. He's super funny. Um, there's a lot of nattering as he says the lines that makes it sound real and authentic uh, in that Jeff Goldblum way. Um, it's it's just a, I think like I think of Stephen Merchant in in Portal Two, like a game where a, a particular actor who I physically know, I know the actors likeness and mannerisms and i've seen the actor in different roles uh what hearing the voice really expressing that you know steven merchant came through as wheatley so well in portal 2 and and i feel the same way about jeff goldblum is he's so funny and he's so expressive and his voice is so distinct and i'm so familiar with him as an actor i just loved having him there yeah uh and as for yeah so and then ron perlman and whatever uh and i can't believe that's heather graham and then some dude who we can't think of 
Yeah, I don't remember who it is. <laughs> I'm sorry, whoever you are. Is it maybe one of those guys from Band of Brothers? Oh, uh, I... Oh, I. You know what? Right. I don't know. All right, sorry, <laughs> sorry, fourth dude. We apologize. At least, at least, uh, you knew Ben Browder. You got that going for you, Nick. I got Ben Browder, Christopher yeah. Maloney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, Christopher Maloney, he, he his character mm-hmm. is. I felt like only held together because it's Christopher Maloney. He's kind of dinklage in it, though, I feel. I mean, he's yeah. kind of supposed to because he's supposed to get, like, taken over by something. But I <laughs> – I mean, and, and by the way, it's it's as far as physical likeness, he's the guy I most was like, oh, yeah, obviously that's Christopher Maloney. I mean, his his face is more distinctive. He's more expressive. Like, I could clearly tell, yeah, this is Christopher Maloney. Um, yeah, unmistakable. Yeah. Uh, so. All right, so, Nick, overall, let's say you have to – uh, give Call of Duty one star for hated it, two star for didn't like it, three for liked it, four for really liked it, five for loved it. Nick, I'm asking you, if you were rating Call of Duty, how many stars would it get? Man, I hated that campaign. I really, really hated the campaign. <laughs> I, I would go so far, Nick, as to say, I think, I mean, I'm thinking back, I think it's the worst like single-player stretch of a Call of Duty that I can recall. It's terrible. It's really, really terrible. I, I, I mean, at this point, it's a one for me. It's bad. That's so for the whole package. Like you would that does that besmirch the entire package for you? Uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, zombies doesn't really hold much value sure. for me. I yeah. appreciate it's there as an option. I, you know, hey, I applaud Activision for, I guess, not parceling it out as a separate game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. But the the multiplayer, like I said, I'm just not completely sold on it yet. So I'm I'm kind of eh, two three. I don't know. I I could waver either way on it. But that campaign is just rotten. <laughs> but Nick, you can replay levels, by the way. So if you didn't like it the first time, maybe you just need to give it more of a chance and play it a couple more times to level your single player character up. Or maybe you want to play it again, but this time with zombies. I do kind of. So I tried that and in. I was kind of hoping that it would let me use all my spell powers and all my unlocked weapons, um, all no. my progression. I was hoping, but it's a separate mode, isn't it? And I, it's kind of interesting and it's funny how they uh, try to sort of spackle over all the storytelling <laughs> by having someone talk uh, and narrate it. Um, but you know, I I can't bring in all my stuff from the single player campaign, which is what I was hoping to do to kill these zombies. Uh, I, I kind of like that mode, but it's not something I would play that much. Like, I like it in theory. It was interesting to do a couple levels and like, oh, okay, this is how this works if it's full of zombies. Uh, uh, yeah, and in theory, cute, uh, but I just wanted to use all my toys against the zombies. I didn't want to have to play the the Nazi zombie thing with the mystery boxes and the power-ups you pick up. Uh, yeah, it's a, I, I thought it was a pleasant surprise when it came up. I thought, oh, wow, what? Yeah. I, I can redo the levels with zombies now? That's that's kind of cool. And then when it started, you know, I was mildly impressed, I guess, with the, the fact that they didn't just, you know, here's the same level and the same storyline, but now with zombie enemies, they, I, I you know, they kind of tried to change it with that, you know, the voiceover, like you said, and the setups and the, even the, the little cinematic bits are kind of changed. Right. Um, so I, I appreciated it, but yeah, it's not, it, 
it's certainly not something I would have paid for. And it's not going to make me play the campaign over. Like no. it's not enough to make me want to get through all those levels. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I don't want to experience some of those levels with zombies. I, yeah. th- there's a couple of those levels I could not give a shit if I ever saw them again. <laughs> All right, so Nick, so overall, the whole package, uh, we hate the campaign. You're not sold yet on the multiplayer. You've never been much of a zombies guy. Overall, you have to give Call of Duty Black Ops 3 between one and five stars. What would you pick? Oof. Probably a two at this point. Fair enough. I, I'm with you 110 percent there. Yeah, it's it's bad. I the the ugh. and I, I know I know there's a there's a whole contingent of people that will tell you you know what are you doing wasting your time with the campaign don't play the campaign blah 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 blah. It's just this is terrible. This is so far below expectations for yeah. even Call of Duty. Right. Well, uh, Nick, guess what? You should instead go play some oh that Fallout 4 thing that you mentioned. Eh, maybe spend some time with that. By the way, I I, uh, I cannot believe what Nintendo did to me today. I am livid. What did they do? They sent me Xenoblade Chronicles X on the same day that Fallout Four comes out. Oh, that's rotten. What <laughs> am I supposed to do? What I mean, that is just that is dirty pool, Nintendo. That is totally dirty pool. Uh, you know this. Xenoblade Chronicles was supposed to come out December 4th. I was supposed to have a full month with Fallout 4, and no, you've screwed it up. What did? What were they thinking? Oh, it's just so cruel that they do that to me, is I have to sit here and decide. Fallout 4, Xenoblade Chronicles X. And I mean, the, the Xenoblade Chronicles X, I, I haven't played it, obviously, but I, I mean, it's got a bazillion hours in it, doesn't it? And you know what else has a bazillion hours? Fallout 4, <laughs> yeah. So, so Nick, I'm I'm now faced with ex- exactly two bazillion hours worth of game content that I have to choose between right now. Two bazillion. It's okay to play a game that has a bazillion hours, but now I've got two bazillion hours to spend. Uh, pretty outrageous, Nintendo. Oh my God, I can't believe that. Uh, actually, it is hilarious that that happened. <laughs> like, but... <laughs> well, the good news is they're on different systems, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like I can't play Fallout 4 on my Wii U. That's for sure. So, yeah. so fire them both up. And just leave them paused and sort of jump back and forth. Right, right? jump yeah. back and forth. Or, you know, if you're really godlike, go ahead and use the two different controllers and just play at the same time. Oh, like a command bunker thing. With, sure. Uh, yeah, 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 sure. No, not, not going to be doing that one, Nick. <laughs> All right, well, Nick Diamond, come back next week. Let's talk some Fallout 4. We're going to get Jason McMaster in here, too. Uh, so everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, thank you uh, to Julian Gollop for taking some time out to hang out with me and talk Chaos Reborn. Uh, and we will all be back for our Fallout 4 episode next week, and we'll see you then. A